You're listening to The Boss Business of Surgery series, episode 106. Today, I talk with Dr. Crystal Soditis. We talked about neurodiversity, which is essentially what happens when you are not like the people around you or vice versa. Everyone's a little bit different. There are lots of different tips and tricks for how to navigate the world with people who are different than you. And mark your calendar for Tuesday, November 28th, 6 p.m. Central, Amanda Hill and I will be hosting a webinar on what happens if you suddenly lose your job. It's happening to a lot more doctors out there. Head to bosssurgery.com to register. Welcome surgeons. Residency didn't teach us everything we needed to learn to be a successful surgeon. While we spent our time caring for patients and learning how to operate, we didn't learn how to advocate for ourselves or navigate our career. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Vertries. I'm a general surgeon, certified coach, and founder of the Boss Business of Surgery series. This is where you'll learn those lessons not taught in residency. Welcome back. I have a good friend on here today, and I'm so excited for all that she has to offer. And I was just telling her, I actually don't know a lot about the subject. So I'm really looking for her expert guidance to help us talk about something that is so incredibly important. And that is neurodiversity with physicians. She's going to provide a lot of clarity of different aspects of this, which is why we're a little bit different than each other. And I think the more we can understand where we're coming from, the less it'll seem so unusual with some tips and and skills to get beyond that. So I'm happy to welcome Dr. Crystal Soditis. She is a pediatrician, board certified, and she is a certified coach and even went on to advanced coaching. So I'm really excited to hear all that she has to offer. So Dr. Soditis, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Perfect. Now tell me a little bit about yourself. Like how did you find yourself on this path? Yeah, thanks. And I absolutely love my story. So I'm happy to share it. So I I am a pediatrician. I'm fellowship trained in academic general peds. It was during fellowship that I got interested in the health insurance industry and thinking like, oh, this is cool. I went on to sort of a traditional academic path until I stumbled upon a job within the health insurance industry that I really loved. So I made the transition about 10 years ago to go from a clinical practice to a non-clinical practice as a healthcare executive. Now, why is this like relevant to this call, to this topic? It's because while I was a healthcare executive, I discovered a woman named Chris Plackey. Chris Plackey is a coach and she is a leadership coach. And she at that time had a podcast called The Manager's Formula. She doesn't have that anymore. But in there, I realized that what she was talking about and the coaching tools that she was using directly applied to leadership. And I decided to become certified as a coach so that I could use those coaching tools in my leadership strategy and to get promoted, which I did. So I never expected to do one-on-one coaching when I went through coach certification. I thought of this as just an avenue for career advancement, but I did fall in love with one-on-one coaching. And I think what I found was it reconnected me to caring for another person like I had been as a pediatrician. And as we go through coach certification and we think about what is the community that I want to serve? And so I know most of the people who listen to your podcast are physicians. I think that all physicians are intellectually gifted because we need to be in order to be able to 
pass and get through the rigors of our education. And so when you are a gifted adult, if you have natural children, you are going to have more, more than likely going to have gifted children. As any good parent of a gifted child, when you realize that your child is gifted, you start Googling, right? What do I do? How do I help them? How do I support them? And there's a million resources. Once those children become adolescents and young adults, the resources pretty much fall off. And there's a lot of, in that age group, failure, drug abuse, dropouts. And I saw the need in the young adult and adolescent community for coaching. So who's in that, adolescent, that, that young adult age group but residents? So I started to coach more and more residents and early faculty, right? And as I was coaching them, I, whether, you know, neurodiverse people with a neurodevelopmental diagnosis like ADHD or autism, whether they just naturally float to coaching or it just so happened that I was attracted to them, but I found myself more and more interested and attracted to the neurodiverse community. And so learning more about it and seeing the, the other forms of neurodiversity in my own family, giftedness itself is considered a neurodiversity. And so I decided to pivot to completely coach neurodiverse physicians. And that's how I got so, here. How would you describe it? Is it just that the, the different range of different aspects of, you mentioned gifted. So I read this as more of like, different spectrums of our gifts that are then interpreted from someone else as, as something different. Yeah. Yeah. That's totally right. The term neurodiversity, and I use it because it's in the vernacular, it's intended to mean people who are outside of the standard to the middle two standard deviations of the bell curve. But the truth is that neurodiversity is intended to mean that we are all on the spectrum of normal. You, We need all kinds of brains in order to have a healthy society. The same way that on a farm, you need biodiversity, within society, you need neurodiversity. Yeah, I love that. Totally true. So yeah. where did you find that your need was was greatest when it came to understanding and helping what is identified as like a neurodiverse person? greatest need is helping people with their negative self-talk, their imposter syndrome, and just their shame or guilt around potentially having a diagnosis or having a diagnosis. They don't want people to know. And it's not just that, for example, they may have ADHD, but it's that they are great at their job, but they are their house is a mess. Or they are really good at some aspects of their job, but their interpersonal skills, their time management, they just can't seem to, they just can't seem to, to overcome that and find that they're always looking for the perfect system. And we help to understand like there is no perfect system. We just have to get to the root of what's causing the difficulties and see if we can, I'm, I'm a strengths-based coach. So we use the strengths because everybody has their strengths in order to support whatever the challenges you have that's being manifested in, in a in a characteristic that people people themselves find unpleasant. 
and for highly intelligent people like physicians, they think I can, why can't I just do this one thing? And there's a lot of self beat downs because they just can't get this one thing done or right or whatever. I see this on things like Facebook groups and all where someone's like, I think there's something wrong with me. I can't do whatever. And a lot of times people will pipe up with some sort of like ADHD or something kind of diagnosis. So how would someone first start identifying? I'm a little bit different. How can I start to classify what may be going on to help me? Yeah. A lot of people have felt it their entire lives, right? Like something that I I would call it like there, there really isn't any adult onset. ADHD or autism or, or anything like that, right? Sometimes there are there are things in our lives, like an acute stress, we're having a time where we're not sleeping a lot, that might cause some increased distraction, distractibility, forgetfulness, etc. Often people will say, I have always been like this. It's always been a problem. If there is a one particular place in your life where no matter how you try, you just can't figure out a sustainable solution, then that might be a clue. And you don't have to have like an official, I can use air quotes here, you don't have to have an official diagnosis. There are, if we take ADHD, for example, because it's actually not the most common, dyslexia is the most common neurodevelopmental diagnosis. But let's take ADHD, for example. And there's various, ADHD intrinsically is a Difficulty with various forms of executive functioning, working memory, task initiation, organization. So perhaps you you don't have like all of the distractibility, but you have, it's difficult for you to organize your time, or you might have a poor visual memory, which means that like most of us, if I were to ask you right now, do you have any bread in your refrigerator? You might be able to say yes or no. But someone with a poor visual memory would say, I have no idea what's in my refrigerator unless I go look at it. How that might show up is I lose my keys almost every single day. I have no idea where my keys are. My husband keeps five extra sets of keys. That's so fascinating because it sounds like that not being able to find your keys is more related to the way the brain is working of not having a visual But I know that there's, imagine a lot of shame associated with, why can't I find my keys? (laughs) Exactly. Every morning, this is a problem. I'm digging through my purse. I'm pulling out the pockets. I cannot remember where I put my keys. Well, let's take that as example. Let's say someone comes to you and says, I, every morning I could not find my keys. What would be the next step in trying to figure out uh, how to help this person? I would do an assessment of what their strengths are. And some people are really very pattern strong, like they form muscle memory. Most of us form muscle memory over time. Some people are, it just, it's just easier for them. So figuring out, for example, where do you walk in the door? What's the easiest thing for you to do? For me, I don't think I have a poor visual memory, but I did have this issue with my keys. And so I developed a habit that the first thing I do when I walk in my door is I have a I have a hook next to the door and I put my keys there. I lock the door, I put my keys there. It's so ingrained in me now that I don't even remember doing it. But I know every morning or whenever I leave my house that my keys are going to be there. 
the, it sounds like the first thing is to recognize your pattern and then find an adaptive way to overcome that maladaptive pattern. Yeah. And that's what we do with everything, whether it's keys or how to figure out how to fold the laundry or how to, if we're talking about, let's say somebody who has dyslexia and has difficulty reading, right? What are your strengths that we can use in order for you to be able to ingest information? It doesn't have to be in reading form and to have it hard-coded. Because a lot of times people often will come to me when like, they're studying for boards. Maybe there's been a board failure or they're just either stressed out about boards because it usually takes them a long time to study. And so we come up with using their strengths. We come up with some say, executive functioning happens to be my um, strong suit. And so it balances out really nicely for a lot of the people who come to me who have poor, who have some area of executive functioning where they struggle. Perfect. And I know you mentioned that there's not really a thing of adult onset ADHD. It sounds like people probably have had this pattern their entire life and it only reveals it when they're like working at max capacity, which may be why it's not identified till later. Would you agree? Absolutely. And especially for intelligent people, highly intelligent people, because it doesn't take as much for us to absorb and learn the information, right? If some kids in school need 10 practice sets in order to learn a mathematical, you know, principle, a gifted person might only need two. So it doesn't matter if they're not paying that close attention or if they, you know, daydream or they forgot their homework once or twice because they're going to get a hundred on the test. And so the zero for the homework kind of all balances out. But there's a point where we all get to where our intelligence can no longer support the level of executive functioning needed or the level of stimulation. We're talking a lot about ADHD, but there's also autism, right? A lot of our colleagues have autism that can be really, there can be a high sensory load, right? And suddenly you get to a point where we'll take the OR, for example, and you get to medical school and and all was fine, but you're on your surgery rotation and you cannot deal with the smell of that bovie. Like you go into a complete shutdown, but that's part of your rotation. And maybe there's something else. And suddenly it's like everything else, kind of all the other scaffolding starts to fall apart. I can imagine because especially for highly gifted, you're able to overcome this throughout your entire life. And especially someone who is gifted and who's used to achievements now right. gets to this point where like something like really the bovie's going to like train wreck yeah. our rotation. And I can imagine like if you're not expecting some variation of that, then what will happen? It, it must be very startling and shocking. And I imagine like, just like you said, could be like a domino effect of a spiral coming from that. And that's what happens when people just, and then there's shame and guilt and it's, it just really, it does, it snowballs. So what would be your best recommendation for someone who now is starting to identify that, Hey, this sounds like me, my executive functioning a little bit off and I'm starting to notice it more. What would be the best steps for them as far as, you know, what, what is the next step? Yeah. So I have, I'll, I'll send you a link to an ebook that I created for sort of like my, my top five tips for what to do if you're 
just realized that you are identifying as neurodiverse. And I think the number one recommendation is to not make yourself wrong for your characteristics. It's not wrong that you need to, stim, stimming is a term that's used for people when they get highly, when they get overstimulated, they might use, now some people can see, the stimming that you see is like tapping your, tapping your pen or shaking your knee. The picture of autism of stimming that people think of is the little boy in the corner that's flapping their hands. But there are other much more subtle stims. Some people, it's rubbing a piece of cloth. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't make yourself wrong because you need a fidget. It's okay. That's the way you take care of yourself. That's a great point is that, I mean, that is taking care of yourself, which it, it's got to be very difficult to interact in the world where you need to do this thing that takes care of yourself and everyone else around you thinks it's irritating. Yes, yes. And that's why masking is a huge concern in the community and not just with people. Masking is a term that we use when um, someone who is different is going into the community and going into the world and hiding their characteristics. And I, I, I can tell you, I don't have a diagnosis. Often this is someone like with autism that makes an effort to have eye contact. It's uncomfortable for them, but they have been taught somewhere along the way that they're supposed to make eye contact. So they, you know, kind of like get themselves together and they make eye contact during the day, right? So, and that creates a lot of stress. For someone who doesn't have a diagnosis, but like, let's just say me, I mask by my you, you may have, it may have already come out during our, our conversation, but like my natural spoken vocabulary is at a grade level that's much higher than most people of average intelligence are comfortable with. So when I get into mixed company, I really bring that down. And that's, that takes effort for me because it's not a natural way for me to speak. So just like now, like I don't usually talk that way. Yeah. It's just bringing it down a little bit. So where, how do you work with people on this? You know, so it sounds like they've now discovered that they have these characteristics and they have a tendency to mask so other people can feel comfortable. Uh, where do you go from here? Do you work with the masking or do you work with the dealing with other people, maybe not responding as well? Or, or how, what are the next steps? We've, we always start with whatever it is that the person is looking for help with. Most people are not going to come and say, hey, I want to learn not to mask, right? They, it comes out in other things. Let's say they're having an interpersonal relationship, right? That's hard. They, at the end of the day, they want to be a better mom. And at the end of the day, they're just exhausted. Again, for some people we hear about for moms, it's like, I'm touched out. And for, if, if you have autism and you have some sensory issues and then you get home and your kids just want to be on top of you, you might feel like a really bad mom because you're like, I just can't have anybody touching me right now. I need to go into my room. I need to get into a dark corner and I need to be alone for, for 20 minutes. So the first thing we do is we talk about how that's not a problem, right? You show up as a better mom when you take care of yourself and your kids learn that pattern. Mom's home from work. 
she needs 20 minutes to go into her room and, you know, and kind of decompress and then she come, can come out and be our mom. So that's the first, that may be the first step. And then the second step is how can you bring down that mask a little bit during the day so that you can show up in a more sensory regulated state at home? Or now it's not always safe to completely unmask. It really depends on your situation. And we also have to talk about depending on how you identify, whether it's race or gender, unmasking can cause can cause issues. So I'm not saying that every single person should be completely authentically themselves all the time, because that may not be safe. But maybe there's a between work and home, maybe there's a ritual that we can do. Maybe there is a process that you can go through, whether it's a mindfulness meditation, maybe it's just sitting in the car for five minutes without, just because the garage door closes, you don't have to turn off the car and go into the house. Maybe you you just spend that 20 minutes in the car instead of in the house, in your room. It sounds like it's a balance between you being uncomfortable because you're not able to be your authentic self and dealing with someone else's discomfort of you being your authentic self. Totally. It's totally. Sometimes, and, and we do talk a lot about that, is well, what are people going to say? What will people think? And I tell, and there, there may be, you, we, we can't manage other people's emotions. We know that. We don't know how uncomfortable they're going to be. But I think also what a lot of people need to hear is they know, right? Like other people in the world, like they know, they know there's something off, like different. And when you come forth and say, yeah, you know, I have ADHD, a lot of people will be like, oh, makes sense. So much makes sense. I love the recognition that different doesn't mean wrong. I think that's being very comparison oriented people that for us to recognize I am different than this person doesn't mean either one of us is wrong. It's just a variation of normal. Right, right. Exactly. I think I have a blog post. Different is not deficient. If I didn't write it, I should because I think I wrote it like years ago. Yeah, I think it's always worth a reminder for sure. Yeah. So that sounds like a great way for someone else when they identify as different. How do you help people when they identify someone else as different? Let's say like I'm working with someone, like I'm a surgeon. So I see, I recognize in this person, this, this guy, he's a little off. What would you recommend someone who has a coworker that is they're recognizing as different? I mean, radical acceptance, right? And so let's say you have a coworker and they talk to you maybe three inches closer than you're comfortable with. And so you could first examine, like, why is this a problem for me? Do I feel unsafe in this environment? Okay, if I feel unsafe, then I need to communicate, hey, I'm just going to step back a few inches because this is too close for me. In a very neutral, non, non-accusatory non way, and make it all about you. This is about me. I just need to step back a little bit. But also, if someone doesn't make eye contact, it's not about you. It's probably about them. Don't, if you find that someone talks a lot, right? Some people with both autism and ADHD, they get very excited. They might talk and talk and talk. Don't feel bad about interrupting them. 
Trust me, I interrupt my clients all the time. You can interrupt them. Most people, and what I've read and been told about ADHD is the reason, and they're often interrupters, right? People with ADHD are often the ones that are interrupting. Don't take offense. The reason they're interrupting and the reason they're talking so much is because they know that they have a poor working memory and they don't want to forget. They want to engage with you and they want to share their ideas and their thoughts, but they don't want to forget them. What a great concept that is to stop and ask myself, why is this a problem for me? And just identifying someone with ADHD that they have a poor working memory and they're afraid of forgetting. I mean, when you look at it from that perspective, that can give you a lot of compassion for someone yeah. who really is just trying to do the best they can and often is doing the best they can. But that was a game changer for me. My mom has really profound ADHD. And undiagnosed, because she's 84 now, she was undiagnosed until she was 60. Wow. But understanding that about ADHD gave me so, it helped me so much in our relationship. It gave me so much more compassion for her. I'm like, oh, okay. When I talk to her, she asked me how I am. And after the first sentence, it's about 20 minutes soliloquy about her. She's like, <laughs> oh, she just wants to make sure I hear everything about her day. That's okay. Oh, what a great sentiment too, because I can imagine if you're asking yourself, what is the problem for me in this particular instance? If someone talks about themselves for 20 minutes, the problem could be, why can't I talk? But when you recognize the fact that this is just how they communicate, they want to make sure to give you all the information before they forget, puts it in a completely different perspective. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And that was a game changer. That Understanding that concept was a complete game changer for me. So I can imagine that we can adapt our behavior for someone that we identify might have ADHD. We can drop into compassion and curiosity, but should we do anything about that? <laughs> know, for right? them, we so want to change people. We love yeah. to like, like if there was, I think that that would be like the universal, the, the universal gift is to be able to like, could I just, that's the superpower. Right? I don't want to fly. I don't want to be invisible. I want to have the superpower of being able to change other people. So, <laughs> and when you find out how to do that, make sure to tell me, okay? Yes, I will. I will. When I find like the kryptonite that changes that gives me that superpower, I will share it with you. <laughs> but, but we can't. I mean, you can talk about you can if you have experience with you know coaching or therapy or a third person. Sometimes sharing your experience is like, hey, you know. My, my best friend was just diagnosed with ADHD and this, she, you know, she, she tried this technique and it really helped her. And, 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 you know, I don't know, maybe that's, maybe in that way, it sounds really obvious. Like, I think you have ADHD, you should get some help, but you just have to phrase it. I'd have to think about it. You know, I would spend a lot of time figuring out how am I going to talk to this person, but you have to phrase it in a way that, that feels natural for you. But probably I would say that's the best way is to, and if you're in a, in a, in a healthcare setting and especially among physicians, you can send them this podcast and say like, Hey, did you know about neurodiversity? Like I just heard about this. I can imagine a, a couple different approaches just like that too. Offering them the thought of like, I've heard that people that talk a lot have, are worried about a short working memory and really want to get everything out. Have you noticed that? And I can imagine you could do that, but and see if they recognize it, which is one aspect. But I, I think another aspect that could be helpful is exactly what you described is when we identify what the problem is for us, I can imagine we could then share our own expression of, I noticed when you talk a lot, I feel like I'm not heard. And yes, that would be a, a great way for us to communicate our feelings 
And then they can then see how their actions are affecting us rather than them saying that they're wrong is that we're simply just communicating how it affects us. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So where are are some of the resources that people can find to explore this a little bit more? Yeah. So like I said, I have an ebook that I'll send you the link to. I really like the neurodiversity podcast and she mostly talks about children and how it affects children, but there's an incredible amount of value as an adult if you are looking for a diagnosis, then I always recommend that for you or, or for your child, because many people as adults are diagnosed when their children are being evaluated because the, the field has evolved so much and then they get their child eval- evaluated and they see like, oh, there are some there are some traits here. And actually women, probably women is a, one of the fastest growing segments of new diagnoses of both ADHD and autism because the understanding of those conditions has changed. People might notice that in their child and want to get an evaluation themselves, but for them and for their child, I always recommend being evaluated by someone who specializes in giftedness and understanding the the the, the intersection of both, it's called twice exceptionality, or it's usually multi-exceptionality when you have giftedness and then maybe you have one or more neurodevelopmental diagnoses. Uh, but those tests really need, there's a, there's a nuance to the administering of the test and to the interpretation of the test. So all that to say is I would look to your local state's chapter of NAGC or National Association of Gifted Children. I, I don't know of a state that doesn't have a chapter, but if you happen to live in a, you know, maybe a, a less populated state, like maybe Wyoming or or Montana, you may have to find a, a close by state that has their own chapter and they should be able to provide you with some resources for testing and therapy if if needed. I was going to ask about that. So they've identified a resource and I imagine in your state chapter, they'll tell you where potentially to go. But let's say someone is like at home and like that feels hard and and they maybe I want to you know reach out to a coach or someone that I could yeah. just go one-on-one and, and talk through all this. So if someone were to want to work with you, where would they find you? Yeah. So you can go to my website, which is neurodiversedocs.com. I hang out a lot on LinkedIn and I can send you, I'm Crystal Ravi Soditis on LinkedIn and I can send you a link to that. And I have a free ebook. Once you sign up for the ebook, you get on my email list. And so I don't email you a ton, maybe like once a month. If people are listening and they just want to set up a time to talk, I can send you a link to my, you know, my, I call it a what now call because often people are like, okay, I have this diagnosis. I understand I understand why I can't like organize my house, but now I don't know how to organize my house. So often, you know, we talk about that sort of like, what now? What do I do now? Right? I like, I understand what now why. Call. That's fantastic. <laughs> what now? <laughs> so I can send you a link to that. And if people just want to, you know, sign up to talk, it's totally free. Even if you just want to talk through, like, I think I may have, I'm not sure. I'm happy to do that. This is really, I really enjoy talking about it. And so I don't have any problem. Even just, you don't need a coach. You're just asking for advice. Totally fine. 
Yeah, I, I love that because the takeaways for me for all of this is identifying that we're different doesn't mean we're wrong and how we can realize that some of these what we perceive as weaknesses are just a difference in how our brain is wired and we could adapt that and that nothing's actually gone wrong and we can identify other people and sort of accept them for being a little bit different because their wiring is a little bit different because when you put it in those perspectives it doesn't feel so like character driven or you know problem driven and you know for us to recognize what really is the problem for us in these interactions and a lot of times i imagine like someone's not making eye contact with me so therefore i think that they they are disrespecting me or someone is talking more and they're making me uncomfortable when you put it in our perspective it both helps us understand it can also help us provide a a framework where we can help them is just simply to express how their actions are affecting us and not to to say that they're wrong, but at least it opens up the a greater dialogue rather than just avoiding people or making it about us or them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Love it. Perfect. Well, I will make sure that the link for your ebook and your website is on there. And I definitely encourage people to reach out to you because there's nothing worse than feeling like there's something wrong with you when there's not actually something wrong right. with you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you, Dr. Uh, on today. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. Thank you. It was great to be here. For more information on the Boss Business of Surgery series, go to bosssurgery.com.